inside your head. The question everyone wants answered is this. Why did Ryan Johnson undo everything important in The Last Jedi that J.J. Abrams started in The Force Awakens? Did he want to make the trilogy his own? Or did he despise the fans who believed they knew what Abrams was building up to? So instead, he turned Luke Skywalker into a heartless hermit, made Rey's parents nobodies, completely ignored the Knights of Ren, and killed off Snoke as an uninteresting character. And of course, the icing on the cake. He made it so that basically anyone could use the Force if they worked on it or desperately needed it. Of course, the answer is that Johnson didn't want to appear as if he had simply followed the story laid out before him. Fans be damned. He wanted his version of Star Wars his way, and the bottom line is Disney's Kathleen Kennedy and executive producer J.J. Abrams let him do it. And when Abrams had the opportunity to retcon everything in 8 and end Episode 9 in a way that would have fans happy once again, he chose to do what Johnson should have done during his turn continue the story that was given to him. And with the damage done, there really wasn't anything else Abrams could have done. Or was there? Was there a better way Abrams could have ended the saga, while explaining Johnson's terrible choices and giving us the ending longtime Star Wars fans needed? The answer is yes. This is the way Star Wars should have ended, and you don't want to miss this fresh ending to the Skywalker saga. Learn to use the dark side. <laughs> Hearing Emperor Palpatine's laugh and trailers leading up to Episode 9 made us feel like the franchise could be saved. With Han dead, Luke relegated to ghost status, and Princess Leia limited to what Carrie Fisher could film before her death. I mean, it's great having Lando back, but let's face it. Other than Darth Vader, the Emperor is the only character with enough weight from the past that could come in and help preserve the greatness of this saga. We needed someone we could trust, who reminds us when the story was good. Of course, the Emperor's return leads to a lot of unanswered questions like, um, didn't you blow up into a million pieces? But as the biggest baddie of all baddies, creating havoc and fear through six of the eight movies, the Emperor deserves to be there at the end. And after you watch this video, you'll see how the Emperor could have also been a part of Episodes 7 and 8, even though we never saw him. But if you're going to bring back Darth Sidious, we need to know how the Emperor got his new groove back. What do you say, Cusco? Whoa, no touchy! And we also need to have the hope that Rey could still be a Skywalker. Perhaps his connection to Rey could complete the story and give more meaning, purpose, and heroism to her. Was Palpatine the puppet master all along, or was he as much a victim of the will of the Force as everyone else? No matter what else happened, Lucasfilm Story Group and J.J. Abrams' resurrection of Palpatine needed to connect smoothly with the recent Star Wars storyline. And they could have done a much better job. Although Abrams' justification for bringing the Emperor back was sound. In an interview with Empire Magazine, Abrams said, I completely understand why some people feel that we shouldn't revisit the idea of Palpatine. But if you're looking at the nine films as one story, I don't know very many books where the last few chapters have nothing to do with those that have come before. If you look at the eight films, all of the setups we're doing in nine are there in plain view. Great idea, but Abrams failed to make deep connections that would properly explain the Emperor's comeback tour. In order to do that, he would have had to do this. 
And it all begins by revisiting the scene in Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, where then-Chancellor Palpatine tells Anakin the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise. Plagueis was so powerful and wise, he could influence the midichlorians to create life and keep the ones he cared about from dying. Of course, with everything going on with Padme, this would get Anakin's attention and be the speech that sends him spiraling into the dark side. And we learn that Darth Plagueis was Palpatine's master, and Palpatine killed him in his sleep after learning all of his secrets. It's in this story that we begin to see how it's possible that Palpatine could return despite being killed by his pupil Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi. The secret is in a technique called Essence Transfer. This is a dark side power used to transfer one's own consciousness into another body or inanimate object. Star Wars history is filled with Sith Lords who wielded this power to live for thousands of years using a multitude of bodies and talisman extending their lives. But for the purposes of Emperor Palpatine and this story, we only need to go back to 67 years before Luke blew up the Death Star to a Sith Lord named Darth Tenebris, the master of Darth Plagueis. Sheev Palpatine was only 17 years old when his future master was plotting to kill his own master, as the Sith often do. Plagueis found Tenebris in a moment of weakness and seized on the opportunity to end his life feeling he'd learned all he needed from his master. But Darth Tenebris had been waiting for this moment for a long time as it was part of his plan. As he was dying, he manipulated his midichlorians and transferred his essence through them to an infected wound on Plagueis' lower back. Tenebris' plan was to wait until Plagueis gave him access to the Chosen One, who we all know would eventually become Anakin Skywalker. Tenebris would then transfer his essence into the Chosen One and carry out the Sith Grand Plan in Anakin's powerful force-wielding body. That plan would eventually become a theme with the Sith, as we are about to see. Unfortunately, after the essence transfer, Tenebris got a glimpse of the future and learned Plagueis would be killed by his own apprentice before giving him access to the Chosen One. He lost focus, was unable to maintain his hold on Plagueis, and his essence was cast into the Abyss. This moment is important because it shows us that Essence Transfer is a premeditated tool that the Sith will use to extend their life. It's not for emergency purposes only. Sith prepare themselves to use this power, and it's a technique they have passed down for generations. Darth Plagueis continued where his master left off, becoming totally obsessed with extending his life as well. He would also teach this to his apprentice, whom we all know will eventually become Darth Sidious, and eventually, the Emperor. Sidious learned about the dark side from his master over the course of decades. Plagueis taught his apprentice everything he knew to prevent the power he had amassed from being lost forever if something happened to him. Sidious was taught that a Sith should try to extend his reign indefinitely. This became a part of Palpatine's core beliefs before we meet him as Chancellor Palpatine during The Phantom Menace. In fact, ten years before the events of Episode One, Palpatine watched Plagueis take the life of another Sith Lord, only to resurrect him and then kill him over and over again. Following that event, Plagueis and Sidious entered a meditative trance that tipped the scales of balance in the Force in favor of the Dark Side. Palpatine was fully trained in the manipulation of life force, and it is confirmed in the Darth Vader number 25 comic book when Sidious was involved in the unnatural creation of Anakin Skywalker, who was born without a father. 
Emperor Palpatine would continue practicing this dark art in search of a vessel that he could transfer his essence into in an attempt not only to lengthen his life but also wield greater power and achieve galactic domination. This process would start with creating Anakin, and as you will soon see, end with the creation of a being that would finally give him what he'd always wanted. Anakin, as the Chosen One, was the one who the Emperor wanted to use as his vessel. But when Obi-Wan Kenobi beat him on Mustafar, nearly killing him, Palpatine changed his mind and continued the search for someone else. During the transformation from Anakin to Darth Vader, Palpatine would meet a scientist by the name of Silo. Dr. Silo was part of the team that saved Anakin and created Darth Vader, and he was obsessed with extending his life via cybernetics. This extension of life lined up perfectly with the Emperor, who employed Silo for the next 20 years. Silo and various clone geneticists would be the ideal team to help the Emperor eventually extend his life. But more on that in a moment. Darth Vader's helmet and armor was likely created with the help of Sith alchemy to enhance it and make it stronger. This would also allow easier control of the armor by a Sith Lord. And since the only Sith Lord around at that time was Sidious, we can assume that it was his Sith alchemy which would give him a very close bond to Vader's armor on a deeper, darker level of the Force. This would be the key to Palpatine's survival. There are 23 years between the time Anakin becomes Vader and when the Emperor appears to be killed on Death Star 2.0. During this time, Darth Sidious becomes Emperor Palpatine and has a lot of time to plot and plan for the extension of his life before Vader tries to kill him. The movies don't show us what's happening, but it's critical to understanding Palpatine's motivation going into Episode 9. But before we solve the mystery of Emperor Palpatine's return, what we have learned up till now is that everything happening is part of a larger plan of the Emperor that he's been waiting for. A plan that started following Order 66 and the betrayal and decimation of the Jedi. With the light side of the Force out of the way, Palpatine took the old Jedi Temple on Coruscant and transformed it into his Imperial Palace. Beneath the palace, the Emperor built a Sith Shrine, a throne room, and a personal cloning facility. It's important to remember Darth Sidious believed he needed to extend his reign by any means necessary. But he also believed that if that reign couldn't be extended, then no one should reign. Palpatine believed the Empire should not survive him. As a result, he put a contingency plan in place to ensure the destruction of the Empire if he should die. Just before Luke went to the second Death Star to confront Vader, the Emperor sensed that some deciding fate was about to happen and put the contingency plan into action. He also sent Snoke in this moment, although he didn't know what it meant. Both of these facts come from the novel Aftermath, Empire's End, and the novelization of Star Wars Episode VIII, The Last Jedi. Both books are considered canon and were written after 2017. These are Disney approved, which means they had been trying to create a better connection to the earlier stories for Palpatine's return. So if the Emperor knew something was going to happen, and there was no guarantee he would survive, he would not have simply accepted his fate. He would have been ready to make a move, and that's exactly what he did. 
Remember the climax of Return of the Jedi when Luke refuses to finish Vader and told the Emperor he would never be turned to the dark side? The Emperor decides to kill Luke with Force Lightning, and we can feel the conflict oozing from Vader, who is standing next to the Emperor. We are led to believe that the Emperor is taken by surprise when Vader picks him up, but that is not true. The Emperor is keenly aware of Vader's feelings and the conflict he has had over the previous 23 years. At this moment, when Luke is begging for his father to save him, the Emperor might want to believe Vader wouldn't betray him, but he wouldn't bet everything on it. The moment Vader makes a move on him, you can bet he would have done something to try to save himself. And just a special note here that George Lucas would probably not like us to notice. Vader goes from standing next to the Emperor to being directly behind him and picks him up. So while it seems instantaneous to us, the reality is the Emperor may have been wondering why Vader was circling around behind him during this intense moment. So thanks to his earlier spidey senses about something fateful about to happen, and now with Vader lifting him up into the air to throw him to his death, the Emperor would have reached out the only way he could to save himself, with an essence transfer. We can already see that Palpatine's force lightning is swirling around Vader's helmet in the few seconds before he's thrown, and then one last tendril of lightning filters through Vader's helmet, giving us a glimpse of his skull. The Force is already pushing from the Emperor through Vader, and when you consider that connection plus the fact that Palpatine's Sith alchemy is inside Vader's armor, it makes sense that this is the moment the Emperor transfers his essence into the helmet. Sounds crazy, right? But it's not. Not in the least bit. The Star Wars Extended Universe has Sith Lords transferring their essence into talisman, temples, and other relics where they could exist for a thousand years or more, wreaking havoc and malcontent. So for the Emperor to slip into Vader's helmet and await a possible return is absolutely possible. In fact, the Star Wars Extended Universe already brought him back once. According to a 1992 comic book series called Dark Empire, six years after the end of Return of the Jedi, Palpatine returned to life via a clone. In the comics, Palpatine had been transferring his spirit from one clone body to the next because his dark side energy was so strong it kept withering and aging his bodies prematurely. This explains his deformed and twisted look we are familiar with. These essence transfers would have been done in his private cloning facility under the Imperial Palace. In order to combat this problem, Palpatine would be constantly striving to find the perfect and most powerful body he could inhabit. It would make sense that with Silo working for him, the Doctor alongside cloners could use Palpatine and Vader's DNA to create a specimen that the Emperor could inhabit without destroying the body so quickly. This would be so Palpatine. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. The second Death Star is destroyed, and Luke gets his father down to Endor and lights a funeral pyre for his body, which includes the Vader armor and helmet. And that's the last we think we are going to see of that helmet until we get to Episode 7, where we find Kylo Ren talking to it. But how did it get there? In concept art from The Force Awakens, there is an image of an older Luke holding Darth Vader's helmet. This means that after he burned his father's body, he kept the helmet as a way to remember him, totally unaware that he was carrying the essence of Emperor Palpatine with him. Years later, Leia sent her son to be trained by Luke at his new Jedi Temple. This is likely where he would have kept Vader's helmet as well. 
and at that time he begins his Jedi training, Ben has no idea that Darth Vader was his grandfather. But while training with Luke, Ben would have access to the helmet, and as an extension, the Emperor. Palpatine's essence would have sensed the same darkness Leia sensed in her son. Snoke had already been working on Ben for years, and this would have given the Emperor an advantage in manipulating Ben if he could have enough time around him. Sensing Ben's strength in the Force, Palpatine wouldn't have taken a chance trying to possess him, only to fail and then be cast into oblivion, so he bided his time, waiting for the right moment. As long as the helmet was with Luke, the Emperor would be trapped. Palpatine's moment would come when Ben learns the truth that Darth Vader was his grandfather. His parents had hidden this from him his whole life, and to make matters worse, he learns about the connection from the announcement of a political rival of his mother. Ben felt betrayed, angry, resentful, and filled with fear, a perfect recipe for a dark side disaster. And since Kylo asks Vader's helmet to show him again the power of the darkness during The Force Awakens, we know for a fact that an essence within the helmet has been communing with him, and we know it isn't Force Ghost Anakin Skywalker, it's Emperor Palpatine. Ben's communing with Palpatine is revealed the same night Luke came to him. It is described that Luke felt a dark movement in the Force. This feeling is Palpatine showing Ben the dark side. So when Luke found Ben sleeping and had the fleeting thought to strike the boy down with his lightsaber, his nephew woke up and defended himself, making his push to the dark side complete. Thinking Luke was dead beneath the crumbled Jedi temple, Ben, now Kylo Ren, would take his grandfather's helmet and become an apprentice of Supreme Leader Snoke. The Emperor was now closer to his goal, but he would need to be careful not to give himself away, being in such close proximity to the powerful leader of the First Order. Snoke would surely destroy the helmet to ensure Palpatine was cast into the abyss and unable to threaten his power. So the Emperor laid in wait, no longer talking to Kylo Ren, but waiting for his moment to return. Hoping Rey would be the daughter of a powerful Force user and having that dashed aside in Episode 8, it is still her past that will be the key to unlocking the purpose of this final trilogy and wrapping up all nine movies. Rey is no longer the future. It is now time for Ben Solo's redemption arc. Once Kylo Ren, Ben Solo is the Skywalker who is rising. But who is Rey? She's a very powerful Force user that needed virtually no training to have master-level skills of the Force. The answer was given to us in Episode 8. Rey finds herself down in the cave on Auk 2, where she is training with Luke. She approaches the reflective cave wall, and we see an endless line of rays. She asks the wall to show her her parents. She sees two dark figures approaching her, but they merge into one figure, and when it becomes clear, she sees she is actually looking at herself. Ryan Johnson explained this scene as being similar to Luke's experience in the cave on Dagobah, where he learns his greatest fear is himself. Johnson said for Rey, it was meant to signify she can only count on herself. That sounds exactly like the nothing burger Johnson would give us. In reality, that scene reinforces the fact that Rey is actually a clone. That's right, she is a clone. And who are the two smudges she can't make out in her vision? It's Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine. If Rey's parents are nobodies, then being a clone is perfect. A clone made from the DNA of Vader and Palpatine. How can Anakin Skywalker and Emperor Palpatine be her parents? Remember that private cloning facility the Emperor built beneath the Imperial Palace on Coruscant? 
that is where she was created. Dr. Silo, who would have had access to both Darth Vader and Palpatine, would have realized that the perfect DNA to use would be the two most powerful Sith Lords in the galaxy. According to the New Essential Guide to Characters, a reference book published by Del Rey in 2002, Palpatine had several cloning cylinders in his facility that he used for his experiments into essence transference. Remember the Dark Empire comics we talked about earlier? George Lucas himself directed Dark Horse Comics to bring the Emperor back through cloning when they were making the series. So if that's how the creator of Star Wars wanted Palpatine brought back all those years ago, then that's exactly what they should have done. Abrams was consulting with Lucas about Episode 9 before writing the script. The Emperor needs a clone, and Rey was created for that purpose anyways. So Palpatine's plan was to return through Rey. But the Rey we know now is a heroic character. There is no pattern of questionable deeds that could turn her bad so quickly and make it believable. Instead, the Emperor returns in an alternate Rey clone and we get an amazing fight between Light Side Rey and Dark Side Rey. The Emperor has returned. He's been the ultimate villain of the saga for the first six movies, and he will continue to be the ultimate baddie here at the end, as it should be. But where did these Ray clones come from, and how does the Emperor get close enough to transfer his essence into one of them? Before his death and the return of the Jedi, Emperor Palpatine had spent years withdrawn, devoting most of his time to study and meditation in the Sith Shrine beneath the Imperial Palace, and use his ability to manipulate midichlorians in the clones. He finally created a clone that was powerful in the Force and would allow him to rule as he wished. He would create several of them, but before he could use them, he would get trapped in his apprentice's helmet. The reality is, Rey has existed for a long time. Once Kylo Ren becomes the supreme leader after killing Snoke, Palpatine would no longer need to stay quiet and he could convince Kylo Ren through a vision to take Vader's helmet below the palace and place it on the Sith shrine he created years ago. This room would be close to the cloning facility Palpatine was hiding, and this was his plan all along. The Emperor wanted Kylo and Rey to come together and destroy Vader's helmet and the Sith Shrine, giving the Emperor this moment to possess Rey's body. But instead of possessing her, he is thwarted by the light side power of the Force in her, and instead sends his essence into his cloning chamber where other Rays still exist. Dark Side Rey is born. With a second Rey now in the picture, we learn from the Emperor's voice coming out of Dark Side Rey that Light Side Rey had always been on Jakku. She just couldn't remember it. Remember that contingency plan Emperor Palpatine put into place in case of his demise? That was on the planet of Jakku. If you are interested in learning more, you can read all about the Battle of Jakku to stop Palpatine's contingency plan in Star Wars The Aftermath Trilogy. Palpatine had set up a research facility on Jakku to find old Sith relics among other things. And wouldn't it be just like Darth Sidious to leave a clone in stasis at that facility just in case he needed her? And after the Battle of Jakku, years later when all was gone and forgotten, the clone stasis pod opened up and woke a sleeping young girl. And as for being the daughter of Junkers who sold her for drinking money, that may be exactly what happened if they found her in the desert and then sold her to Umkar Plutt. But that wasn't an accident either. 
Just as Anakin had been created to bring balance to the Force all those years ago, the little Rey on Jakku was the Force fighting to bring balance to the dark side. This conversation happens with Ben unconscious and out of the scene after destroying the Sith altar and Vader's helmet. The two Reys face off against each other. The most incredible lightsaber battle ensues, a throwback to the first one we saw between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader. Only this time, instead of Obi-Wan seeing Luke, it is light side Rey who sees Ben recovering from across the chamber. Knowing she can't defeat the powerful Emperor alone as Obi-Wan knew he couldn't defeat Vader in A New Hope, Rey tells the Emperor, if you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Rey, totally in control of the moment, puts her lightsaber up to her face, making her completely vulnerable to attack. As Darkseid Ray laughs mockingly in the Emperor's voice and moves to swing, Ben screams, No! Ray sacrifices herself to give Ben the upper hand. Ben hesitates for only a second and then strikes at Darkseid Ray with everything he has ever learned from both the light and dark side of the Force. In this moment, Ben is the balance the Force is constantly striving to achieve. He moves into a desperate lightsaber battle with the Emperor. As he begins to gain the upper hand, Ben calls out to Darth Sidious. He says, For my uncle, and he strikes off Darkseid Ray's hand with his saber. For my mother, he strikes off her other arm. And for my father, he cuts off the Emperor's head. With no place to send his essence, Darth Sidious ends in oblivion. Ben grieves for Ray. The movie ends with Ben rebuilding the Jedi Temple, with new Padawans and younglings, and of course, the approving looks of several Force ghosts that show us the universe will always have hope. Was this the type of ending you wanted for Star Wars? Let's talk about it in the comments below. Also, check out this incredible Star Wars graphic design from the amazing artists at Mixtees.com. Get 20% off your purchase by using coupon code THEPOPCAST. The link is in the description below. Hungry for more current pop culture news? Then make sure you head over and subscribe to The Popcast Unleashed for daily content. Hear us talk about all of your favorite things. Click on the link in the description below. Until next time... <laughs>